0: Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at wwwrestorationlexcom slash this week. It's a story about things that you and I, as modern people, usually try to avoid. We want to push away questions. We want to push away things like grief and at least numb it away, but we cannot avoid, as we move into this passage, some of the harder things that you and I face as human beings moving forward. Uh, we heard earlier the middle of this story, and in the middle of this story, we see this moment where Jesus is weeping, but how it actually begins is he Hears that Lazarus, who the passage says is one of his friends with Mary and Martha, his sisters, is about to die. And that's what happens. Verse 5 there, the beginning says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. There's three close siblings, and these are, from what we can gather in Scripture, some of Jesus' closest Friends And I don't know about you, but for me, it's kind of hard to fathom thinking about Jesus having friends. We often have this t- tendency when we think about the, the humanity of Jesus, that it is somehow in contrast with his divinity. So for him to be fully God would somehow mean that he is relationally self-sufficient. That being like God means that you need people less. Sometimes that's implied by how we bring our understanding of Jesus' humanity. And I think what we see to our surprise today is to not only learn that Jesus had real and normal friends, I would go far as far as to say, I think we see that Jesus needed friends in his humanity. And that does not diminish his divinity in any way in needing the friendship That was around him. Eugene Peterson in his book Tell It Slant says. What the biblical revelation tells us. A revelation that is summed up and completed in Jesus. Is that we can't become more like Jesus. More pleasing and acceptable to God. By becoming less human. Less physical. Less emotional. Less involved with our families. Less associated with the socially and morally undesirable people. We don't become more spiritual by becoming less Human I love that because a lot of people i 've encountered in my life, the more they want to become spiritual, the weirder and more detached they become right and Jesus just doesn 't do that being full of the Holy Spirit, being full of god 's purpose in all of its glory moved towards relationships and not away from them, moved towards friendships that he needed. I think it 's pretty profound to think that Fully God and fully man Jesus needed friends. Which speaks to our need, doesn't it? Real friendships. And John makes it clear that these the people that Jesus loved, they're three ordinary folks and they love him back, which makes what happens in the story all the more strange because as Jesus is presented with this idea that Lazarus is about to die, he says, I'm going to stay here longer. He doesn't go and meet his friend in that need. He actually tells his disciples, I'm glad I'm not there for your sake so that you might believe. Now, we're reading this on the outside looking in at this story. Mary and Martha do not know what is happening here. All they know is that the one who could have intervened did not show up. The one who could have done something about this was absent. A friend... And Jesus did not meet their expectations. And this friend happens to be God. Now, how many times have you found yourself wondering why God didn't act the way you thought he should? How many times have you expected God, by just looking at his character and his track record... And your own faith in theology to show up in a circumstance or in a problem, and he doesn't. At least in the way you think he does. If that's you, you found yourself in the place of Mary and Martha in this story. You have faith in a God you believe can act, but seemingly chooses not to. Seemingly does not step into that. I think if we're all honest, we've, we would say that we've probably all been there, that we have had those questions of, God, why did not you show up in this situation? God, where were you? I'm confused as to how what I believe is disconnected from what I'm experiencing. And chances are, if you've ever felt that, that's a hard feeling to shake. That's a feeling that sometimes can stay in our bodies long after we've forgotten it in our minds. A feeling that can come up over and over again when we least expect it. And if that's something that you've been into, that you've experienced, I want you to allow yourself today, as we look at this passage, to be in the mindset of Mary and Martha, And as we read these words together, allow yourself to feel what they feel and connect with those feelings that you've probably been in yourself before. So let's keep reading. It says here, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Now, I love this detail because we see that there is a difference in grief here. There is a difference in how this is being expressed. Martha marches right on out, but Mary says, I'm good. I'm staying here. Grief takes shape differently in each one of us, doesn't it? Some of us run towards the problem, some of us stay right where we are. I'd imagine that both of them felt some sense of anger and questions that they weren't really sure how to articulate. But what I think is so important about how we pay attention and read this passage is watch how Jesus responds to them uniquely and not in the same way. Both sisters, they ask the very same question to Jesus in this story, but he responds to them in different ways. Look, verse 21, uh, this is Martha. It says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, further on down, verse 32, Mary, when she reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Both sisters, they make the same exact statement. Jesus, your absence mattered here. Jesus, you weren't there when we needed you to be. And that is a boldness in speaking to someone that reveals to the, to, to us both what they thought about Jesus beyond just an ideal and beyond just being having to tiptoe around the fact that he is God. They were extremely bold raw and honest in this it's the kind of statement that you can really only feel confident to say if you're among friends right like that's how you know you have a good friendship is that you can bring the hard stuff you can say some things that you know are probably not true but you just have to get it out That's the kind of vulnerability they bring to Jesus. And as these friends, I love how, as we look at this, Jesus honored the uniqueness of each one of these women. He meets them where they are. For Martha, it seems like as she comes to Jesus, she needs to process outwardly. How many of you, I won't make you raise your hand as you get into these hard situations, how many of you just want to talk it out? Martha seems to be that Person, It says here, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. This is Martha speaking. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God, who has come into the world. What we see in Martha is that she brings correct theological answers to Jesus. She knows what is true about God in her belief. You don't have to come to her, as many I have seen come to folks in difficult situations, in waiting rooms and in the middle of the night, and just pat on the back and give them a Bible verse. She knows the right answers about God. But what Jesus reminds her is that her future hope, her theology, is actually present with her. Her theology is the person standing in front of her. The resurrection and the future that she knows gives hope in the midst of death is actually standing right in front of her face. The day that is coming, Jesus says, I am that day. The future you're longing for, Jesus is saying, I am that future I'm here. I'm here now. And we've learned something in these words that I hope you hear today and I hope you remember. I was reminded multiple times this week having conversations with people that this is not always the case. And so please know this. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not freaked out when you bring the hard questions to him. And I'm sorry when other Christians have freaked out when you brought those hard questions to them. But God himself does not flinch when in your grief and doubt and confusion, you bring the hard things. Jesus does not flinch at this. He is not offended with the circumstances. He's not questioning her mindset. He is not telling her she has a lack of faith. He does not reprimand or correct Martha. He simply reminds her of what she already believes and says, I am that, and I'm here. Listen, if questioning God is a lack of faith, then tear out about a third of the psalm tear out a whole lot of the scriptures if you can't bring the hard stuff to God. We see over and over again in the scriptures, the witness we have is that it's not a lack of faith to bring these hard questions. It is an expression of faith to bring the hard questions to God. That's what the Psalms teaches us. That's what Jesus teaches us. All throughout the scriptures, please don't ever feel like God is holding you at an arm's length when you can't understand what's happening, and you bring those hard things to Him. That's good news. And there's Mary, who Jesus meets next down verse thirty-three. Let's keep reading. It says, "When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord." They replied. And Jesus wept. Growing up in church, when you had to memorize Bible verses, <laughs> buddy, you better believe we worked this one real hard. Two words. Jesus wept. You memorizing scripture this week? Yep, Jesus wept. Nailed it. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Little did I know as a kid, this is one of the most profound verses. And just two words. Jesus wept. Because if you know the story, you know his words to Martha are true. He says these words will not end in death. Which makes his response to Martha and to Mary all the more remarkable. Because Jesus weeps for a man he knows he's going to raise from the dead. Why does Jesus weep when he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead? I think it must be more... Than what we see. I think he weeps for Mary. I think Jesus intentionally. Enters into the grief of his friend. And weeps. Not because the death. Is the final word. But because even as the hope that is coming. Jesus refuses to dismiss the grief. And the emotions of the one he's standing with right there. He weeps because his friend is weeping he weeps because he wants to feel what she feels we see this in this strange phrasing which often happens when we get english translation says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled it's one of those phrases that kind of doesn't get the full effect in english it's sanitized in the greek deeply moved can be translated as anger or rage Troubled there, it means he's agitated, he's unsettled. Let me ask you something. I, I bet this is true for you. I know it's true for me. Have you ever been so angry that you cried? That's what's happening with Jesus. But why would he respond this way? He's, he's bringing this anger and this grief, especially strange given that resurrection is about to happen. Why? I think Jesus is angry at death. I think Jesus is weeping and troubled by the pain of the death that he sees in the lives of the people that he loves. His anger is driven by compassion. He's angry at death. He's troubled by what his friends are facing to the degree that his body is overwhelmed with tears because of the compassion he feels for those that he loves. If you've only known a God who sits up in heaven detached from what you actually feel, this, this is good news. This word compassion, it literally means to suffer with, meaning Jesus is actively and intentionally suffering with his friends, actively and intentionally stepping into grief with those he loves, even knowing that resurrection is coming, Jesus chooses. Jesus chooses. Jesus chooses to suffer with his friends. He chooses compassion. He is not dismissive about emotions. Instead, Jesus meets us in these emotions. Notice here, he doesn't tell Mary to stop crying because it's about to get better. No, Jesus cries with her. And as I pondered this, as I walked through this this week, I kept thinking, "Man, what, what a friend! All of us need friends like this." I, I, I kept thinking, "God, I want to know you in that level of friendship, and I also want to learn how to be a friend like that." I don't know about you, but one of the hardest habits to break in relationships, whether it be marriage or or friendships in general, is When you enter into tough situations, just the proclivity of us to to want to immediately fix stuff. How many of you have ever been reprimanded for trying to fix things when it wasn't your job to fix something? There's a lot of nudging in the room right now. And it's out of love. We know. I I know this in marriage. I know this in friendships. It's out of love because we want to jump in and save the day. We see people we love who are hurting. And our immediate first response is to try to do everything we can to fix the problem. We want to make things right. But more often than not, and I'm, again, still learning this. More often than not, we're skipping over the actual need. Which is to sit with people in it. Which is to stay in that grief. Which is to feel what they feel. Which is to know what they know. It is a hard lesson to learn. And it's one, again, I am continuing to learn. Is that sometimes I'd rather fix it than feel it. And the reason why I don't want to... (coughs) deal with this the reason i want to fix it in the first place is because i'd rather fix it and not have to be in it i'd rather not feel it because your emotions make me uncomfortable they make me question my involvement i'd rather fix it and that way i don't have to deal with it what's remarkable is in this story the one who literally could fix it chooses to feel it long before Listen, this is a story of a resurrection. This is a story of an incredible miracle, one of the most incredible miracles in the Gospels. Lazarus eventually walks out of the tomb. He's called out. And as you ponder the story, you see immediately the obvious miracle that is right in front of your face. But I I keep thinking there's another miracle here that's taking place that we often ourselves skip over. And I think it's the miracle that Jesus wants to be our friend in this way. Jesus wants to enter into our grief and emotions in the very same way. I mean, think about the deepest friendships you have. They're probably not born out of common interest, although there's some like that. Your best friendships are those where you've struggled together, where you've shared in the same hardship. You've shared in something that has been difficult. Some of our closest friends, I'm thinking about even right now, we didn't speak to for a couple of years. We had a conflict years and years down the road back back then. And, and we just didn't talk forever. And finally, we came back together, and there this, there's this deepness to these relationships because we know we've been through it together. C.S. Lewis famously wrote in Four Loves, he wrote, Friendship would be something like this. What, you two? I thought I was the only one. One of the most profound friendships any of us find is one where we know that they know what we feel. And they're willing to feel it too. Suddenly our suffering is not so isolating. It's not so lonely to think that we're the only one who feels something like this. We're the only one who's walked where we walked. The only one who has struggled with what we have struggled with. And this is what the Bible says is true about Jesus for us. That he willingly stepped into what we know and feel and experience. The book of Hebrews makes this clear over and over again. Chapter 2 says, for, for this reason, we, he had to be made like them, us, fully human, fully human in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, I love this verse because it shows us that when God took on flesh, took on our humanity, it wasn't so he could get better at condemning us. Jesus became human like us for mercy. Jesus took on what we took on for mercy, for us to be receiving his mercy. That's good news. It means Jesus chose to enter our suffering in the same way that he enters Mary and Martha. Not so he could condemn or question us, but so he could redeem what we are in. Jesus, as we prayed earlier, is the solidarity of God in what we suffer, in what we feel. He is with us in that solidarity, in the grief that we are struggling through in these moments. It's not a matter of if we will walk through hard things. It's whether we are in it now, are going to be in it, or we're walking out of it right now. I know in this room represented, there are people and stories walking through hard stuff. And why get up here and preach about a Jesus who is just an idea that pats you on the back and lets you go through it alone? I just can't do that, man. Because I know, I know what you will go through or are going through. And just like the funeral that Hannah was at earlier this week. I feel as a responsibility as a pastor that each one of us, we're going to end up there. And when we're there, it doesn't matter what lofty ideas we have about God that never meet us in our actual pain in our actual stories. It matters who God is in those moments for us. Chris Green, one of my favorite theologians, he writes about this. He says, here's the staggering wonder. What Jesus experienced did not change him, but was changed by him. He healed whatever he assumed, and there is nothing he has not assumed. He suffers, but as Jensen says, he does not suffer the fact that he suffers. Nothing happens to him but what the Father wants to happen differently for us. This is the good news as we close today. That grief does not have the final word. That we are moving towards resurrection. And Jesus enters into our sufferings not just to cry with us, but to redeem the very places where we are. Redeem broken marriages. Redeem broken relationships, redeem addiction, redeem heartache and anxiety and pain and failure. Jesus enters into it not just to observe, but to transform. And so I want to pray for us today as we move into a time of communion. And I would just encourage us, even ask, do you know Jesus as that friend? one thing to call him God or Lord or Savior. All true. But to know him as friend. To know that he wants to be that friend for you. To receive that today. There will be folks in the back that will pray for you as we're moving forward in this too. But just encourage you to respond. This is a time to respond to what the Lord is doing and speaking to you. So Father, thank you. But we can know the friendship of Jesus so intimately. God, thank you for not being a mechanism that just fixes our problems, but being a person who enters into them. And Lord, the weighty, sobering fact that each one of us will be in or are in moments of grief struggle, suffering. May you anchor us in the friendship of Jesus. Because as much as he sits enthroned on high, as we sang earlier, he also, the word says, is near to the brokenhearted. So if we are broken today, if we are struggling, may we offer that to you, knowing that you weep with us, but you also walk that road to the empty tomb. Meet us here today. In Jesus' name.